0: Gentlemen, welcome to the Musicians Tell Me Secrets podcast. We're back with more secrets and less facts than ever. By the way, I want to apologize for last week, the uh, the Further Future Bob Pittman episode. You know, I wasn't really happy with the quality of that when I put it out, but I was on a really tight deadline. I had a book coming out. My new book actually came out yesterday. It's called L.A. Downbeat. It is a sex, drugs, and rock and roll murder mystery. So anyway, L.A. Downbeat is, you know, it's loosely based on... My personal experiences I had while working as a music journalist in the late 2000s, early 2010s. And, uh, you know, I I was able to talk to hundreds of musicians and really saw some truly crazy shit over those years. As as you can imagine, a lot of them um, I'm still friends with and talk to on a regular basis. Um, A lot of them are dead so, you know, that's just how the music industry goes. Anyway, the premise for L.A. Downbeat is this music journalist obviously, if there's anyone out there who knows anything about music journalism the first thing you need to know about music journalism is they don't pay you shit. I mean, it's, it's barely enough to, to buy yourself food. Forget about concert tickets. I mean, that, that's pretty much why people do it is, you know, fringe benefits. You get to hang out with rock stars you get to, you get to go to concerts for free that's all well and good, but the job pays shit. So, the main character The protagonist's name is David. David is a music journalist for one of the the world's largest uh, music magazines, still in print, and uh, by night, he sells drugs to rock stars, and that's how he kind of finances his lifestyle. Anyway, so early in the story, David sells coke to a Keith Richards-type character, and this is at Keith's party before he's going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So obviously a big deal. David goes to his house, sells him coke, and then, you know, as soon as Keith gets up on stage, He collapses, grabs his heart... Gets rushed to the hospital. The autopsy comes out and says, Oh shit, Keith died of a coke overdose. Now, David's thinking to himself, like, there's no fucking, there's no possible way that that can be true. Because he knows who he gets his stuff from I and mean, he knows it's safe and he knows that he's been selling it for long enough to understand, you know, the, the safety risk. So he knows he, he was there and watched Keith do it. There's no fucking way that his coke killed Keith. From there, it becomes kind of a cat and mouse thing with the police closing in on David and him trying to find you know the real killer he thinks that there's a a lunatic serial killer going around killing rock stars around Los Angeles and making it look like they OD'd and think about that for a second that's a fucking terrifying thought because how prevalent is the drug culture in the music industry I mean if, if that if that could be true then you know a serial killer can get away with pretty much killing anyone and no one would even bat an eye so anyway, LA Downbeat, lots of, lots of sex, lots of music, lots of drugs, uh, a lot of well known artists in the book, a lot of artists who I had to change their names. Because of the interactions that uh, they have had with some of the characters, and the book is like 90% true. Obviously, I rearranged the dates to make it more linear, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a really fucking great story. I recommend anyone, whether you like murder mysteries, you you know, if you like if you like going to concerts, if you like fucking books, if you don't like books and you just want to support, you know, uh, a a writer, if you just want to support a cool dude, you know, it's anyway. The book's three dollars. You can find it at Ryan's bill.com so definitely check that out. So the last few episodes I've been asking people to submit to me their favorite concert or music festival stories of uh something something crazy that happened to them or their friends or you know just something kind of like in line with the, the stories that we tell here. And I was actually surprised that well first of all I was surprised that I got any submissions whatsoever. I mean let's be honest. This is I mean we have less than like 10 episodes here, but um, yeah, I mean thank you if Everyone who submitted anything, I really appreciate that. Unfortunately, a lot of them were garbage. Um, A lot of them were basically someone decided to email me hot garbage from a burning trash can, attach it to an email, and sent it my way, and that got quickly deleted. So anyway, there's one particular story that I forgot to tell last week about Further Future, and it's my personal favorite moment. And that is when I was a third wheel in a cuckold situation. Now, when I was living in Las Vegas, I had done a bunch of weird sex shit. But this was the first time I was asked to be the third wheel in a cuck and bull situation. And honestly, I don't even remember how I met this girl. But at some point, I'm, we're all sitting on one of those massive floating beds, you know, the beds that are suspended by chains. So they just kind of float there and a lot of people get motion sickness from them and it's, it's kind of funny when they throw up. So it's, it's me, her, her boyfriend, and then two more of her friends who, uh, you know, honestly, I can't remember any of their names right now, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, this girl and her boyfriend start to get into a big fight, and I think it started because he wanted to go see Fortet perform, and she just wanted to sit and chill. Then they started to bring up hold shit, like, you didn't come to my grandma's birthday party because you said you were sick. Then when I came home, you were smoking weed and playing video games. You know, the kind of shit that's clearly not about him just wanting to go see Fortet. Anyway, they start going at it. They're fucking screaming at each other, and now everyone's starting to stare, so I do the thing a adjust- gentleman does in that kind of situation and just get the fuck out of there. So as I'm tiptoeing out of sight, and I'll never forget this, she screams at her boyfriend, and all the jewelry you bought me sucks, and I'm gonna fuck him, and she points right at me, and then her boyfriend goes, go ahead, I dare you, go ahead, I dare you. Meanwhile, I, I look at her friends, and they're just smiling and laughing, truly enjoying this scene. you think they were watching, like, Book of Mormon or something. Now, I really wish I could tell you that we got down right there on the floating bed in front of everyone, because that would truly be some crazy shit. But instead, I actually walked with her over to her tent on the other side of the festival with her boyfriend trailing behind, As she explained to me, don't worry, we do this all the time. Um, So as we get to her 10, she asked me something that I've literally never been asked before or after. And it it struck me as really strange at the time. But, I mean, it kind of makes sense. So she asked me, so this is what she asked me. She asked me, do I have your consent? Yeah, you know, I was kind of caught off guard for a little bit, but I'm like, yeah, f- fuck yeah, this is what music festivals are for. So right there, that tells me that she probably had some kind of incident in the past before she had to ask people, do I have your consent to any motherfucker within finger-pointing range every single time she got into a fight with her boyfriend at a music festival. But whatever problem that was, I'm sure it was very traumatizing and or expensive to solve. And she learned her lesson, and now she has to ask for consent every time. Anyway, I want to wrap up that story by saying that some people find it difficult to ejaculate while someone is staring directly at you from about five feet away and won't stop yelling about how the person you're having consensual intercourse with is a slut and a whore. My point is that being a third wheel in a cuckold relationship, two stars. So this is without a doubt one of the top five craziest stories I have. Because by the time I'm done telling it, most people don't even believe me. In fact, the story is so great that I had to make it a scene in my new book. It's about a cross-punk haven called Bartetown. And before you think I'm just reciting the scene from Mad Max or whatever, um, the punks who live there, they drop the R and just call it Bart Town or Bartet Town. For the purpose of this conversation, we're going to call it Bart Town. I don't know why I didn't ask. At the time, I was doing publicity, so... At the time, I was doing publicity for musicians, so me, Elliot Next, and my buddy John, we go to check out this up-and-coming punk show uh, to see if we could sign them. And these are crust punks who are all, like, 18, 19 years old, but they drew a massive fucking crowd. Anyway, after the show, we link up with them, and they invite us to something called Bardytown, which isn't far from the venue. We did have to hop a fence to get there, walk through the wilderness in pitch black. Complete darkness for like 15 minutes. Um, there, We crossed a railroad at one point. Remember tripping over a railroad? Like, ah, oh, fuck, who put this there? And just when I was beginning to have doubts that Bartytown really existed, there it was, off in the horizon. Bartytown. With a big bonfire in the middle, you could see at least 30 people party, partying With a big bonfire in the middle, you could see at least 30 people partying in this, like, circular clearing. It went down about 20 feet, so we had to climb down two more ladders to get to the actual, like, ground floor area. And we were greeted with uh, red cups full of keg beer, and I think someone gave me beads. Um, here, you know, the punks could, they could play acoustics, they could fight, they could fuck, um, all because they basically do anything they wanted, because it was so far from civilization. Well, I mean, it was actually probably maybe like 500 feet from a row of townhouses by the nearest street. But the fact that it was 20 feet underground meant no one could see the fire, and since it was dark, no one could see the smoke. So, yeah, they basically had, you know, the reign of the place. My favorite part, there, my favorite part there, though, my favorite part of the night was when the fire dancers came out. I mean, these women were clearly professionals. Have you ever seen a, a, uh, like a fire dancing performance um, close enough where you can actually feel the heat of the flames? Like I'm pretty sure I lost a lot of body hair that day, but totally worth it. But if you want to hear more about Bardetown, pick up a copy of my book LA Downbeat from literally anywhere you buy your books from. Uh, so anyway, I think that I, I like so anyway, that experience kind of after so anyway, after that experience, I like to think that those mystic encampments like Bardatown exist in every city. It's just a minder, it's just it's just a matter of finding them. That's the hard part. Guys, I've never been this excited for a book launch before. I've got maybe two dozen books out and, you know, as of today, LA Downbeat is available on Amazon Kindle and as a paperback pretty much in every single book market around the world. So, you know, for people who only buy their books that are Apple Books or whatever, you know, I did that for you. You're welcome. So my team did put together a short trailer for this book, and I really hope everyone enjoys it. It's just a little taste of, um, you know, what's to come in L.A. Downbeat. This could possibly be a a launch pad for uh, a huge series, because there aren't a lot of uh, books out there like that. You know, that's what I notice is just, you know, writing about my own personal experiences... You know, talking to musicians and hanging out with rock stars, going to music festivals and seeing these events unfold. That's really what L.A. Downbeat is about. And of course, you know, me being me, I have to name drop a number of of L.A., you know, popular artists, underground artists, a bunch of venues in different spots around L.A., so if you've ever been to a concert in L.A. in your life, then I think you'll, um, this book will resonate with you a little bit. The, you know, The final push last week to get this book out and all the content out, it took a lot out of me, so I need everyone to show this video and the book some love. To watch the trailer, you can go to ryanstabilcom slash L.A. Downbeat. That's um, L.A. hyphen Downbeat. Yeah, and there you can find info on, on the book, the trailer. For listeners of this podcast, I think that you're all going to really enjoy the story in L.A. Downbeat. And I'll see if I could put together some kind of promotion for the podcast listeners out there if you want to get it. Alright, I mean it's already two ninety nine. How much of a fucking deal do you need? Come on, do you really need three dollars? Do you really need to go to the gas station and buy that fucking candy bar, or can you can you buy this book and you know read a fucking book and do something with your life? God damn it! So LA Downbeat out now. Get it. So for this episode, I, one of the reasons it was delayed is because I did plan on having a few guests on to tell their craziest music festival stories, but everyone ended up getting cold feet, and that's, you know, what happens when, when I try to rely on my friends. So <laughs> there goes that. i um, looking at you, Billy and MB. I understand I can be extremely intimidating at times, especially since the whole premise of this show is to utterly destroy my guests, so, you know, you're probably doing yourself a favor. Not that, you know, I, I don't want future guests on here, but, you know, whatever. Moving on, I did get a few submissions emailed to me. And this story was sent in by someone who signed their email, Hella Rachella, and I think I'm saying that right. I think it's supposed to be a pun or something. No one cares about your fucking pseudonym, Rachel. No one thinks you're witty. You're not fooling anyone. I bet no one even likes you. Or at least they won't after hearing this story. Oh man, this is really good, though, and I do thank you for, for sending this in because it made me literally LOL. That's laugh out loud for all the listeners over 50 out there. One, or one listener over 50, probably my mom. Okay, so I took it a little too far there. I'm sorry, hello Rachella, or whoever the fuck you tell people to scream out while they're choking you during sex. This is by far one of the most damaging stories I have ever heard in relation to a music festival so if there was some kind of award for that other than you know our condolences you would definitely win and actually I think I'm gonna give I'm gonna give out a hundred dollar Amazon gift card to anyone who thinks that they can top this story anyway this is Rachel's story I planned out the perfect weekend at Coachella with my three best friends it was my first time at the holy grail of music festivals so I wanted to make sure I did it right One of my friends, Baby Spice, was in charge of procuring drugs. I gave her $500, god damn Rachel, and asked her to get as much coke and molly as we could sneak inside the festival. I spent the entire week before making these cute outfits to wear during Coachella. Needless to say, I was pumped. And then, you know, she goes on for three paragraphs, explaining in gruesome details how she made these outfits and what they looked like. I'm going to spare you those gritty details. When we get in to make camp, I turn to Baby Spice and ask her for the drugs. That's when she started with, oh, about that. She said, I couldn't find Coke or Molly, but I got the next best thing. A shit ton of Special K and Xanax. Oh, well, I thought. I wasn't about to let my friend's bumblefuckery ruin my first time at Coachella, and I was determined to make this work. So I slipped into my sparkly pink one-piece bathing suit and proceeded to do a couple of lines of K, pop a handful of Xanax, and set off to explore the festival. My one-piece didn't have any pockets, so I did what any girl would do in that situation and put a small bag of K and Xanax in my flesh pocket for later. Lovely. That was the last thing I remember about Coachella. Everything from that point on is a blur. That was Friday. The next thing I remember is waking up in a holding cell in some desert city police station on Sunday. Apparently, I had ripped off that sparkly pink one piece and demanded that other girls let me try on their clothes. And it's pretty tough to get busted for indecent exposure at Coachella. So even after I called my mom to bail me out and then uh, talked to my other friends who were there, I couldn't piece together what had happened over the last three days. They said they spent most of the weekend looking for me, which sucks. You want to be that friend? It wasn't until I went to Coachella the following year that I would find out bits and pieces of what happened the previous year. Apparently, a good number of people recognized me as the naked girl running around trying to get people to do bumps of K off her pussy. There are worse things that I'm too embarrassed to even repeat. But suffice to say, that year I didn't do any drugs at Coachella, just alcohol. Um, So that's about where she trails off. If anyone thinks that they have a better uh, music festival story or concert story, then Rachel, email it to me at info at com, and the best story... Um, I'll read on the podcast, you'll get a $100 Amazon gift card, and, you know, why not? Any, anyone who emails me their stories will get a copy of my new book, L.A. Downbeat, and Rachel, just because your story was so sad and pathetic, I'm going to send you both a $100 gift card for Amazon and a uh, copy of L.A. Downbeat. So, um, I hope you're not dead. I hope you respond to your email. Anyway, that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we're back on the regular format, and we'll hear from Flux Pavilion. Until then, stay safe, y'all.